Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the very teal-colored hair, Bo Lake. If you're not watching, you're missing that. And our guest today is got many, many hats they wear, so we'll go deep into that. But it is Larissa Sowen. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So in some Drinking with Authors swag, I am drinking... Um, Orange juice and vo- it's a screwdriver, vodka and orange juice, because I was eating breakfast not too long ago. And I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll just put some vodka in it. Go Tito's. <laughs> anyway, um, Bo, what are you drinking? I am drinking a uh, just a regular drip coffee with oat milk. Ooh, ooh, super fancy. <laughs> um, Larissa, what are you drinking today? I'll be honest, it's 8.30 in the morning, so I just finished my coffee as well, and now I've just got a nice glass of juice here. <laughs> that is okay. That is okay. Rebels. So, Larissa, for those that don't know you, what do you, let's go through your your little resume here, because there's a lot that you do. Yeah, I feel like it's so hard to introduce myself, and it's getting more and more complicated, because I do many things, and I have many passions. So, I'll start with my books. So first and foremost, I am an author. That's one of my proudest titles. I've published over five different books in a myriad of genres. I have sci-fi, nonfiction, children's books, collaboration books. It kind of hit every angle. I have no niche. Um, And then I started my own publishing house because I said, oh my gosh, I love this. I need more of the publishing world. And so I founded Next Page Publishing in 2022 And now we help other authors, mostly in the nonfiction space, because I found a really good teacher in that space. And I love drawing people's stories and expertise out. It's just the things you learn when you help someone write a book. So I started the publishing house and we are coming up on year three of operation. And it's just been phenomenal. That is really, really awesome. So let's start with your writing. So when did you decide you were a writer? We can go into the Scooby-Doo time machine backwards and find out when you decided you wanted to write. Uh, Accidentally. And I love this story because I accidentally wrote my first book. I accidentally wrote nearly a hundred thousand word book um, in about two weeks. So The the short version of the story is that I was off work from my corporate position for some health reasons, and I had nothing else to do. And I really needed a way to get out of my own head. I was so tired of binge watching TV. Like you can only, I was off for almost two years. So you can only watch so much TV and the (laughs) weather was terrible. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I, I accidentally, yeah, I accidentally wrote the book. So I, my husband and I used to do mystery games for kids, like escape room style games for kids. So we'd send them a locked box of candy. They'd unlock it and do the mystery. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll write a space themed game. And I started writing and it was really fun. And I had all these codes and mysteries. And then I got to about 10,000 words. And I was like, I don't think this is a game. This is this is really long. And I just kept pulling that thread and pulling and pulling. And then boom, a book. <laughs> Wow. Why sci why sci-fi? Um, you know, it was it's funny. I it was an escape from reality. I really just needed to go somewhere else and be someone else for a while. And what better way than to literally leave Earth and to literally meet aliens where society is there's no rules that we would normally know when everything is thrown out the window because At the time, I was feeling a lot of judgment for not working. I was feeling like a bad mother. Um, I felt like a bad spouse. And I was like, you know what? I don't I don't need this. I need to step out of it. And so sci-fi seemed like the best way to do that. That is cool. That is very cool. Were you an avid reader of sci-fi before you did this? Or were you just watching an awful lot of like The Expanse? (laughs) Um, I would say... not a not a huge sci-fi reader, actually, surprisingly. Fantasy seems to consume my reading bandwidth more often. Um, but I really enjoy sci-fi movies, I would say. So yes, that would I couldn't pick out a specific one. I've been told like um my book is kind of like Blade Runner. Uh, uh I'm so terrible at comparisons when someone's like, Oh, what's your book like? I'm like, I don't know. This is unique, it's new, it's a new book. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. No, because, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people ask that question, not because they are expecting you. Like, if you go, well, it's kind of like Supernatural meets Thelma and Louise, right? You say something like that. I decided, Bo, right now, me and you need to write that. But um, (laughs) uh, you say something like that. And so the person kind of knows, like, oh, yeah, no, I like that. So I'll, Mm -hmm. like, yours. Because, you know, there's, of course, the great Star Trek, Star Wars divide. So. I mean, that's how people pitch their books too. Like every time there's like pit mat or whatever on Twitter, it's always like people being, this is like this movie and this movie. Like it's like a pinpoint that people can be like, oh, I like those things. I'll like this book. Exactly. It's so true. But as an author, it's so hard to do. It's like, I have to get that (laughs) from my husband or my readers. I'm like, okay, what do you think it's like? Yeah, I don't know what my books are about. I hope no one asks me about it because I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I know them word for word, but I don't know what they're about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can remember them word for, that is impressive. Okay, so (laughs) then um, what, after that book, did you continue in the fiction or did you go nonfiction? Where have you gone with what you've written? Yeah, so after the sci-fi book, uh, The the Defender came out in 2021, I wrote uh, romance crime book as well that I don't know will ever see the light of day like it is in rough draft um so that was a fun dip out of out of science fiction and then I wrote a couple of children's books um at the time my daughter was having a really hard time I happened to be in and out of the hospital at the time and I needed a way to convey to her what was going on so I wrote some children's books for her and then I illustrated them and designed those so those are very near and dear to my heart And then I went on to write, um, once I decided I was going to start the publishing house, I wrote a nonfiction book and it's called How to Write a Book, Memoirs and Autobiographies, straight to the point. And it's just a nice little workbook. So that was my first dip into fiction. And then I've kind of dove in from there. I have a memoir that's hopefully going to be coming out eventually. (laughs) That's the most committed I'm willing to get to that one. Eventually it'll come out. Um, but I wrote another fantasy book um, last October. I wrote a fantasy book. So I am all over the map. And I think that is like creativity in the making it, there. It is. And it's interesting as, as you're wearing the hats of being a publisher and stuff like that, because a lot of times we've had a lot of authors on the show that do multi-genres and stuff and things like that. But it's always interesting their journey because you're not just trying to find sci-fi fans and stay with a sci-fi kind of grouping. So um, diversifying your fan base can be a very interesting challenge, I think, sometimes. Not bad, but I think it can be interesting. And especially as a publisher, it'll give you a unique perspective when talking to your other authors that may have a similar situation that they're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, yeah. It, it it makes relating to them really well because they're like how many books have you written as like well 10 in like four different genres <laughs> that's very cool so it sounds like you're a fast writer I have been told that I, I don't really have anything to like benchmark against I guess I have the the people that I I coach um and work with but they you know I try and hold them to the same standard I I can write about a chapter a week um but I have been known to disappear to Mexico for a couple of days and bang out a book. <laughs> That's very cool, though, because I think, you know, it's interesting. I always go, what is a fast writer? But I think a fast writer is getting the work done. And I mean, some people write to formula and can go super duper fast. And, you know, the, you know, hallmarky kind of romances. Some people can just go bam, 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 bam. And it's done. Here you go. But I think it's interesting when people are like, yeah, no, my next book's going to come out in four years. I'm like, what in the hell are you doing for four years? Like, and how do you know four years in the future? Like, yeah, is it done and you're waiting? Is it you're writing a chapter a month? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you're doing all these genres. Let's talk about your journey and decision to become a publisher. Did you submit your book for um traditional publishing I did so I'm technically a hybrid and a traditional publisher we dabble in both so we have the paid programs where we take the authors through all of the coaching and this is where I really distinguish myself as a hybrid like I partner with them from word one they get one-on-one coaching 
we do all the editing in-house, all the design. I don't publish any book that I haven't read myself. So we have a really high caliber of investment into our authors. Um, but we also do some traditional publishing um, because I absolutely understand that hybrid publishing can be expensive. And so I want to do more of the the outreach and the service to people. So we do some some traditional publishing as well in the nonfiction space. Um, but as far as like getting into it, so with with my first book, it was pretty much a hot mess when it came to publishing and editing. I had to go through four rounds of editing because my editor was terrible. I ended up switching editors in the middle. So I paid three times as much as you might for normal editing. Um, my cover design, they wouldn't give me ownership of it. So they, they designed it and then they made me pay for the files in the end of it. Like, so I hired them, paid them, and then I had to buy the files from them if I wanted to self-publish them. Um, and it was just this huge disaster. I sorry. I think I skipped your first question. Yes, I did query my book. And then I realized how hard that was on my confidence and how by the, I thought my book was the bee's knees. Everybody that had read it would said it was so good. It was an amazing story. It was fast paced. It had action. They liked the main characters. And then I was getting all these rejection letters. And I was like, well, this is a huge hit to my confidence. I have all of these people saying it's good. And I have this one person who's supposed to be an expert in their field saying, no, it's not for me. And sometimes it's, no, it's not for me. Keep going. Um, you know, we liked it, but we don't have a space. Our, we're full on sci-fi books this year. And it was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to do it myself. So that's when I went down the self-publishing path. And I partnered with a vanity press, which I now know is a vanity press. I didn't know that at the time. Totally got preyed on, which is so irritating. Yeah. Um, and had all the schmorzeborg with my editors, which was awful. And all in, I ended up paying close to $8,000 to get this book published, which at the end of the day, I didn't, they didn't tell me it was published. They didn't give me the links. They didn't give me any of the final say. They just out it went. And I happened to be again in Mexico. Turns out I go there a lot. Um, and I looked on Amazon and there it was. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and then they were done with me, just gone. There was no, Hey, congratulations. This is so awesome. Wow. We're so proud of you. They didn't give a shit about me or my book. They didn't read it. They didn't care if it was good quality. And I was like, this is the worst. I will never do this ever to another author. And so I got real with myself. I could go back to corporate and lose my soul, or I could follow this publishing path. And I, I already knew I could do it better. I am a fast learner. I observed everything that was happening. I read everything I could find, watched all the YouTube tutorials. I was like, I can do this better. And so I founded Next Page Publishing. And our motto is putting the power back in author's hands. Everything we do is for the author. They are involved in every process. We give them multiple rounds of editing. They meet their editors. They talk. They have conversations. They meet their designers. Like, there's nothing faceless about our company. And I'm just so proud of what I've done for the authors that have come through our doors. I think that is amazing. Um, you know, I we're we're publishers as well. Uh, we have Four Horsemen Publishing, and our motto was bringing a publishing apocalypse because, to your point, I think publishing and there is traditional publishing, and even if you get a contract traditional publishing, it's usually not what you think it is. It's not like you're going to get a five-figure check, and I I say five instead of six, right? You know, and you're not going to get the help. You're not going to have that. You're not going to get to choose the editing that you have and work with the person. There's all these different things. And I think having publishers out there that are changing it, making a difference and not being a vanity press, because those are so hellaciously terrible. Like to me, they're even like they're the bottom rung to me are vanity mm -hmm. presses, because I think a hybrid publisher is different. But vanity press book mills are not great because you're not going to get the guidance that you need unless you're experienced author and can go hey I want it out I want this ABC you like I don't I don't see the use in those so I think that's fantastic that you're doing that and super super duper exciting so um when you started this what 
What surprised you the most, though, after your book was released? What is something that you weren't necessarily anticipating? There's two things. Um, one is probably the hardest lesson that I think any author, eh, both of them, both of them are extremely hard lessons. One, it is not a write it and they will come scenario. I think <laughs> that was like what the Vanity Press kind of gave me of like, oh, you're going to be famous because they were doing all these like big name authors, right? That had these huge releases and they were famous, famous. And I, and I was and I was like, yay, this is going to be me. And then it was like, I haven't made a sale in six months. Huh. What do I need to do differently? So marketing. Marketing is the bane of my existence, which is why we teach our authors how to do it. <laughs> and we give them the support on how to do it, um, including like going out and getting media. Like, how do you get media to cover you? And it's more you, not necessarily your book, but cover you. And then that leads to your book. How do you become inviting to podcasts? How do you do that? I didn't know any of that. I just thought I'd write it and I'd be a millionaire. I'm going to be famous. They're going to make a movie out of my book. Uh, reality check. No, it doesn't happen. So that was number one. And then the second one is once the book is released and it goes to the public, it is not my book anymore. And that is so heartbreaking to understand. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the readers now. All of the reviews, all of the comments, all of everything is not mine. I don't, I, I have a very, very thin skin. So I can't look at my reviews. I can't do any of that because it will be, like stab me in the back, like ugh, right through the heart. But once you release it, it's not yours. It, it belongs to the world now. No, totally. And I tell, I mean, I think authors have different um, abilities to read reviews. It's just whether or not you do it for the right reason. Like, I think it's important, especially if you're um, independently published or with somebody you can control the publishing to look at reviews just to make sure there's nothing technical that they're saying in the reviews. Mm -hmm. Like, hi, this person switches tenses throughout the entire manuscript. Well, if somebody writes a review like that, you may want to have somebody who can um, see these things, right? Not necessarily yourself if you did that, but an editor or somebody to go through and fix your tenses and things like that. Or if um, there's anything technical like that, but, you know, you can get one star reviews for absolutely no idea and no reasoning. And because that wasn't that person's book, I think reviews are for readers but you have to have a thick skin and you have to put yourself different, you know, outside of the review hitting you in the face, so to speak, yeah. I think, because yeah. yes, if somebody writes something nasty about your book, it can be very disheartening. Although good. I always say this, this is my theory. I am, I've been dying for the day I'm on a panel and somebody stands up and says something negative about my book. Cause I want to go, thank you very much for buying it. Next. <laughs> Yes, like, you already gave me your money. Say whatever you want to say. Like you already did it. Thank you. I already got the royalties. I appreciate you. Moving yeah. on, you know. Like, um, but I I think that's that's very very cool. But I realized I've been monopolizing. Please ask, ask away. You do that every time. I just I just I know, know to sit quietly until you remember I'm here. <laughs> um. What was it like writing a memoir? Because I know you said you've been working on one or about to publish one. Yeah, it's um, I've been working. This is the longest book. I, all the books I write, I write in like two months or less. Like I bang them out fast. Um, this one has taken me. I'm on about 18 months now. Um, and it's kind of the it's it's supposed to be called the shift we say. And it's it's how parenting changes us. And I have a six-year-old daughter who shattered my entire world and then has been building me back up ever since kind of thing. And it's just about learning to look at what they give us as children as opportunities to change ourselves. Cause we can't raise healthy children if we're not healthy adults, like if we're not doing the inner work. So that's what it's about, but it has been so Hard. And it's given me a lot of compassion when I work with my other authors, when they are in the memoir style book, um, I've just, it's, it's not so much about coaching with them as just providing the space for them to exist and to, to think and to cry with someone because I cry every single chapter. Um, but I always come out of it with that, just like that, you know, that weight off your chest, like, oh, that felt good. 
Like it's, so it's therapy. like therapy. Yeah. It is so much like therapy, right? Writing is hugely therapeutic. And that uh, the other books are fun to write. The fiction books are fun. This memoir, um, it hits differently there. And so if you're, if you're looking for a writing coach, make sure they've written in your genre because they're going to know exactly what you're going through. I think that's awesome. What's interesting to me is, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on um, a, a memoir kind of part of my life right now, which has been very um, interesting to write. But then every now and then, as I'm putting words on the page, I go, people are going to see this, you know, and like, are have you sort of at least mentally prepared yourself for you know, you talk about reviews and exposure, like I, I, you know, I'm doing it and I, I have my reasoning for doing it similar, um, a reason for doing it, not the same as you, totally different reason based on my background, but um, that's important to me to get those words out there. But that I think about as I'm typing, sometimes I go potentially hundreds of thousands of people, I hope will read this, you know what I mean? Am I and they're gonna they're gonna see you like flayed open in front of them, so they're gonna see all of you. That yeah. sounds really scary. What are what are your thoughts, Larissa? Yeah, so I've debated p- publishing this one under a pen name <laughs> because of that, but I'm not doing a very good job. I just said the title and my <laughs> I'm all me here. Um, but there are there are people in my life that I don't want to hurt. And when you're doing that inner child work that I'm doing in my memoir and calling out things from my childhood and, and, and just the way we were raised, I think it's just really important to consider the voice and the, the angle of our opinions. Like this is, this is my perspective of things. And I try to represent that as best I can in the books, but also at the same time, I totally agree with you, Erica. I have things that I think need to be said, especially for people my age that are going through this whirlwind of motherhood. Like it is just, it is beyond anything. And I think they need to hear those words. So maybe I'll publish it under a pen name. I don't know. (laughs) But maybe one day I'll just suck it up and say, you know what, this is what it is and have an honest conversation with the people that I think it might affect and be like, okay, I'm sorry. Other than that, I don't really, I don't really care what anyone else, you know, has to say about this topic. It's the people that are closest to me. Yes. So what I already did is I told them I was writing a book and I told them I'm going to give them a copy of the book. I'm not putting their name. I decided to use initials, you know what I mean? Um, in the book, but the other thing about not putting your name on it, something to consider with the, especially when it picks up in popularity and I'm saying when and not if they're going to find you. Mm-hmm. And then the first question is going to be, why didn't you put your name on this? It's, yeah. Cause it is a memoir, right? It's supposed to be about you. So why would you hide? I, I totally see that. Um, and honestly, I can't imagine having a fake identity. I can barely keep my own identity in check like there's like eight heads up in here um so to create one that's outward facing sounds like an impossible task but it is an idea to play around with it's not that hard i will tell you it's not that hard to be somebody else yeah yeah because um i i'm who i am bo bo has a completely different name (laughs) her real name's not bo that's her her pen name but i have another pen name too i write under which is dahlia lance and I maintain that one. You can just, I, I understand. And I know the the food for thought of like, how do you, how do you sort of flay yourself open? I was going to say bare your soul, but I like that graphic description <laughs> better, Bo. How do you, um you know, flay yourself open and still, you know, um because then there's definitely, you want to talk about reviews of your book. They're not reviewing your book. They're reviewing your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, can I have what hundreds of thousands of strangers think of my life, please? I'd love your feedback. Thank you. No, Realize how much of a hot mess I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think true to form, I think we're all hot messes. It's just, do we, um, are we willing to acknowledge it? And are we willing to um, uh, own it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think that's yeah. a big difference. Okay. We have to take a quick break. We will be right back with a second. 
Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncie, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we are back. Bo, what other questions do you have? I realize I, again, monopolized. Monopolization. <laughs> I I want to know about coaching. How do you go from they want to start writing to they're uh, a successful writer? What is your process like as their coach? Yeah, that's such a good question. So we, um, first of all, it's all one-on-one. I don't believe in group coaching for authors um, because I find the author's voice gets lost amongst others, especially when they're new and they're quite open to um, impressions from other people. They'll hear what one, one person is doing and all of a sudden they'll shift their voice because that sounds good. Or they'll see 80% of their class plowing ahead and they're the 20% that are falling behind and then they're demotivated and they don't write their book anymore. So we only do one-on-one coaching. I would rather hire more coaches than go to group coaching. That is my stance on group coaching. Um, and what we do in the first couple of weeks of working together is we work on the fundamentals of the book, really understanding. It. And I think this is where a lot of newbie authors don't even start is because they don't know what starting looks like. They think they have to start on chapter one with a blank page and then they just stare at the blank page. And they're like, oh my God, I have, how many chapters do you want me to write? I don't even know how many chapters. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So we take them through the basics. And the first thing we do is, who are you writing to? Who is this book for? What is, what do you want? Like, what are they facing? What are their problems? Because if you can understand this, and this is strictly in the fiction space right now, or nonfiction space, excuse me. If you can understand what their problems are, what you're trying to give them, what value you're trying to give them, you can start this book. So we start with who you're writing to, and then we create the book's mission and vision statement. And so the mission statement, and I'll totally admit, I always get these backwards because in my head, they're like, they're one word apart. So they're interchangeable. The mission statement is the, what you might see on the back of the Amazon, like on the Amazon just page description or the back of the book. Like what is, when, when readers pick up your book, what are they going to get? What is the point of reading your book? What's the transformation that they're going to go through? What can they expect? And then the the vision statement is a 10-word synopsis of your book. And so when you and I both said, I don't know what my book's about, my authors don't have that problem because we nail it down really early on. This is what your book is about. This is what it is. And then we create the outline. So with those three fundamentals in place, when we move into the actual writing phase, like I said, my authors are usually doing about a chapter a week. Some are a little bit slower. I've had people have concussions. I've had people have jaw surgery in the middle of writing together. Um, and so like we're flexible in that way. And that's, and that's one of the things you can only get from one-on-one, right? So we're flexible. And then I've had people write their book like me in seven weeks. And so they move really, really fast. But it, in that fundamentals, if you have that, you can always come back to it. So if you're feeling that writer's block, it's like, okay, what did I say I wanted to do? Who am I writing to? I usually have a picture of that person up on their computer. And then we move into the actual coaching. And the way our coaching works is, I and I, I know that people say, don't edit as you go. We actually edit as they go because your coach reads what you've written and then helps you formulate the next chapter. So instead of getting through your first draft, which we know first drafts are garbage fires most times, the coach works with you to flush all that out so that by the time you're done first draft, you're actually done second draft. It is actually a very well put together book and it's ready to move to editors. So we've eliminated that entire need for the the author's responsibility of going back through it. And I've met many manuscripts that die after the first draft because the author is tired of looking at their book. 
myself included. So we just, we partner you with your coach and we eliminate that. We edit as we go, you get feedback. So you're not making the same mistakes over and over and over again. You have consistency, you have flow and you are doing what you said you wanted to do. That's our process. Very cool. Okay, Bo. I'm letting How you have that in for the next couple <laughs> questions because then we're going to go into literary briefs. Well, I had a question and you made me forget it. <laughs> How many writers are you coaching at any one time? Ooh, a lot. <laughs> I love my authors. I have a really hard time saying no to people. And so we are hiring a coach right now. We are, we just hired admin so that I can get more into the authors at this point. I think we have 40 authors. Um, and I will say one of those is a collaboration book. So one project is 15 authors. That's one of our traditional projects where we are paying the author to contribute to the book. Um, so that's 15 of our authors. And then, yeah, we have about another 25 that are at various stages of their book. Very and that's top end. <laughs> that's that's really neat um as far as publishing goes and doing the covers and things like that um what advices and stuff do you give authors as you're going through the process with them it depends on the author honestly some people come in and they know exactly what their cover is going to look like like I had a woman come to me um and she's like I have a painting on my wall I know the artist I want to use it and so we got the distribution rights from the painter and that was our cover. And so super simple, super easy. Um, I could do it myself. Like I'm not a pro designer, but I can do some designing. So we did it ourselves. And then you have other people come in and they cannot nail down what they want their book to look like. So that's when we start doing market research. What's happening in your genre? How do we stay ahead of what's happening in your genre? I the what's happening in fiction space right now with the house of this and this, and they're all the covers are exactly the same. It's like, okay, we can't, can't do that anymore because you're going to disappear into the flood. So we look at what's happening and then we try and step one step ahead of that of like, where, where is the market going? How do we still keep people interested? And in the nonfiction space, it's really important to be on brand. So a lot of the people we work with, they will have brand colors and they will have brand fonts and, and logos and things like that. So we have to figure out how to incorporate all that into the book. So a lot of times, like if I'm doing the design myself, I will just sit down with the author and we go, okay, let's bang out the intricacies. Like Again, it's it's power in the author's hands, right? I want them involved. And then other times when it's beyond my my head, it's like, okay, let's bring in the designer, the pro, right? Let's bring them in and, and show them what, what we're thinking. Give them a rundown of what the book is, who the book is for. Because again, who that book is for is going to tell you, well, what colors? If you don't have brand colors, are they like the pink girly girls? Are they the more um, into the blues? Are they rainbows? Like what is it that the reader is looking for that you're trying to attract? So there's a huge psychology around cover design because it's first impressions, right? No, to absolutely. I, I agree. And I'm I'm glad you said the point of kind of looking at what's happening in things, because I think, you know, you, you mentioned the painting on the wall, and that's great if it goes with the genre and it goes with what you're trying to say. But mm -hmm. authors sometimes are like, I want to use this photo from my grandmother. And you're like, cool, but you wrote a sci-fi book. So. <laughs> yeah. And you you just have to be careful because people use their eyes. You know, that that adage should never judge a book by its cover is kind of garbage because mm -hmm. everybody judges every book by its cover. And I'm not saying you can't find things. And some people go, oh, I don't. I just, I look at the back. But why the hell did you pick it up to begin with? Yeah, you well, don't see the back first. You're not yeah. you're reading first. You're looking first. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we are going to go into, are you ready? Dun, dun, dun. Literary beliefs. Love it. <laughs> okay. Um, no pressure, but there's pressure. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. um, what is your favorite book of all time? That's hard. There's so I know, but good <laughs> books. Okay, so everybody just, answers it. So you have I, to answer it. I just finished, and this is me. My favorite book was the book I just finished. <laughs> so I just finished the Akatar series which was absolutely heart-wrenching and breaking. And so I've started reading, um, oh, what's the Crescent City? 
And I've been like looking for like, oh, please intertwine. I don't think it intertwines. Nobody told me that they don't like connect. So that makes me sad. So I'm going to say the Sarah J. Mass world right now. But I also really enjoy, um, oh, what is her name? She writes like mystery detective style books. And her name is totally escaping me right now. She has like 50 of them and she's my age. And I'm like, how are you writing this many books? Um, if it comes to me, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. What about least favorite? What's that? Sorry? Least favorite. Oh, my least favorite. Yeah. Um, there are a few that I have DNF'd lately. Um, uh, actually, one of them is from that favorite author I was just talking about because they, they, they were two characters and they were... She was lost. She had been in a plane crash. She was lost in the jungle. Um, she'd watch everybody die around her. And then she has all this sexual tension with the main character. And I was like, girl, no, you are covered in mud. You have a broken ankle. There's no butt rubbing. There's no looking at his face. And I just could not get into it. I was like, this is so unrealistic. Like, just survive. <laughs> so I didn't finish that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. What about um, a book? So where do you think they did a really good job doing a book to a movie or a TV show? Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> That's an old school one. But it's one of those ones that like my husband and I both regularly quote. And I don't think we'd be able to do that if we had only read the book or only watched the movie. It's how they came together and like just captured the essence of them. So I can remember reading them and I can remember seeing them and I just like honestly like never forget your bath towel like your towel like that is like a life lesson for me so that that's a good one for me <laughs> yes there is a British so um Douglas Adams actually wrote the script to a British like a tv show that they did or series just you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that is hysterical really awesome done in I want to say like the late 70s, early 80s. So it's got like a cheese factor, but it's, I think it's like eight parts. You can get it on DVD. And also I think it's on Amazon Prime, but um, you should, if you're a fan, cause I'm a huge fan, you know, um, of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I, I would look, watch that because I think they did such a great job with the characters. Not that they didn't in the movie. I thought how they cast that and everything was really well done, but in the TV show, it's it's a bit ridiculous, and the Bogarts yeah. are hysterical in the TV show. I'll have to check so, it out. Yeah, no, that would be good. What about the opposite? Where do you think they did not do such a great job? Um, Twilight. I mean, come on, can't we all just agree on that one? Like <laughs> that one. I mean, maybe it could have been good if they casting had been different but the books themselves were not super strong as a 12 year old girl I was all in as an adult I'm like mm, maybe not the literary gem I thought it was um but maybe oh, no, I, just... I thought it was a terrible lesson for young girls I was like look here's a healthy relationship well oh no you want this and then when she yeah. wrote the last one which I couldn't even get through a friend of mine bought it for me that's how I read all those books is a friend of mine bought them and I had guilt. I was guilt reading those books. Mm. I was like, oh, they paid for them. But um, I read the last one where, you know, it's Edward's perspective. Talk about like total stalker. Like you watch that and you go, uh, yeah, how many, how long have you been coming into my room? And for the last few months, I like to watch you sleep. It's creepy. Ew. It's, it's like, it's, it's like you, like we were talking about yesterday. It's yeah. Just like <laughs> yeah. But at least you oh. owns up to the fact that the guy is <laughs> a cross creepy. A, a creeper. <laughs> and it's meant for adults, right? This was meant for like prepubescent girls. I was, I was probably, I wasn't 12. I was probably 14 and I had broken my leg at the time. And my parents were like, peace out. We're going to Vegas. And I mean, they had this trip planned forever. So they set up a bed in the middle of the floor for me. And they said, here's a stack of Twilight books. Go nuts. <laughs> and so I read all these books in a week because I had nothing else to do. And I remember calling my mom. Do you, do you remember in the, I think it's the second one where you just flip the pages and it's like month by month when he's gone. I was just 
lost. I was crying and sobbing and I called my mom and I was like, oh, does he come back? And she's like, Larissa, there's like two more books. Of course he comes back. I want a love like that. (laughs) I I sit and stare out the window. (laughs) Yeah. So heart wrenching, but now I'm thinking like maybe not the best books to read as a teenager. Maybe get your uh, daughter some mental help, help. You know, mm-hmm. if that's happening instead of maybe. here's Twilight, here's Twilight. Yeah, no, I was talking about in the books. No, if she's got <laughs> broken legs, they don't oh, know. I These need are- mental health, like that's not that's not off base, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about um, what is your writer's Achilles heel? What is something your editor is like, Larissa? You have got to stop doing this. Mm. Or do you have new ones every book you write? Because I've switched editors so much and I haven't found one that I love for fiction yet. I haven't gotten consistent feedback. One editor has told me to stop using like um, conjunctions, like it's, like it is or it's. Stop doing that. And I don't love that advice because I feel like the, it makes the writing really stuffy. So I don't listen to that advice. Um, I've had people tell me that I switch tenses. And I, I wrote my first, my first sci-fi book is actually in present tense, which is very hard to write in, but I was too deep before I realized I was doing it. And then I couldn't change it. So I had to keep going in the whole series. There's three books in a series. So when I came out of that series and started, and I realized past tense is the way you would normally write a fiction book. That was really hard. So I have, um, the Regency, which will come out eventually um is past tense and so my editor is going to have a very hard time (laughs) doing that of like you're jumping all over the place because I do I do no I I think that I think as writers we have habits that we develop or and can redevelop because a lot of times if you have a good editor they go hey watch out for this so the next time you're writing you're watching out for that but then Mm -hmm. you're creating a whole new thing that you're doing wrong and weird I yeah. can't wait on the book I'm currently working on to hear what new bad habit I picked up that I, my editor is <laughs> going to be like, so, because I actually write first person present tense. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It, it is very hard, but once you, I don't know, I felt like once I got into like, I'm playing it out like a movie in my head. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this, this is happening. This, this is this happening is. right now. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. Bo? Every time you ask me, the question comes out of my head. Whoa, what is your uh, writing snack? What do you eat while you write? Okay, so I will usually bring a bowl of snacks or a hot beverage to drink, and then I will absolutely forget it exists. So I'll make a tea normally because I usually write while my daughter is doing bath time routine. And then um, after she goes to bed, I'll come back and finish off my chapter. So I'll bring a hot beverage. It 100% is always 80% still there and cold by the time I'm done. And sometimes I'll bring like a little bowl of chips or something. And But that makes my keyboard absolutely disgusting. So advice to those out there, like choose your snack wisely. Like what are you, what are you not afraid to get all over your keyboard? We've had people be like, oh, I eat Cheetos. And I'm like, how? I know. How do you do that? Yeah. Cheetos so- orange. My son, who's a gamer, keyboard all the time, has started eating any kind of chip with chopsticks. He keeps one of the little pairs where they wrap the paper and the rubber band around it. He keeps those next to his desk. So any snacks, he uses chopsticks to deliver the snack to his face. So it, mad props. He also, because now he's been doing keto recently as a diet. So he does this with vegetables with the dip. He'll pick up the carrot, dip it, and then put it in his mouth. And I'm like, what is happening? But it's so funny to watch because he's like 6'4", this giant dude, right? With his with little chopsticks. chopsticks. <laughs> Especially when there were potato chips. It was ridiculous. So authors out there, get some chopsticks. The little kind with the rubber band on the end, so you don't lose them or misplace them or go through a whole thing. You got to be able to just reach over. Yeah, on messy snacks. Um, <laughs> what about your uh, favorite? You said warm beverage. What kind of warm beverage do you do? I am like a a tea snob. I would say I like to explore very much with tea. When David's Tea went out of business in my hometown, I was very very sad because I think I was their number one customer and the only reason they stayed in business the long as long as they did. 
Um, so I will just try like anything. I like black teas, green teas, oolong teas. Um, and then I will get bored of it because I have ADHD and I'll move on and I'll try a new tea. And so I have an entire, like, um, it's like a, one of those rolling islands that I have my tea maker on. I have all my cups. It says coffee and tea up top. Like it's a whole little station and I'll just pick my tea for the day. And then I either like it. And if I don't, it goes into the like, eh, not my favorite back corner, which I empty about once every year because, ugh. and then I move on. <laughs> I love that. I'm a tea snob as well. I have actually been um, fully told I am not allowed to purchase any more tea until I lessen the amount of tea that is in my home. So I've been working on that for months now because <laughs> I, I, uh, there was a lot of boxes and he's like, does tea go bad? And I'm like, I think it probably does eventually go bad. It goes so, stale. That would be my guess. Is it goes yeah. Stale? Well, he was like, you've had this for four years and you haven't opened it. And I'm like, <laughs> fine, fine. Okay. And I'm like, exactly how far down on my tea do I have to get before I'm allowed to buy more tea? And I'll go into stores that have amazing tea. And he's like, no, no. It's kind of like the coffee cup rule. I have an exact amount of coffee cups I'm allowed to have. And if I get a new one, like I did the other day, I have to get rid of my other coffee yeah. cup. He's like, there is no, these two shelves. And then I have these things that hang on the wall. He's like, you have like 50 coffee cups here and you don't even use most of them. But they're all special. They all mean they're something. De it's decor now. You just have it to for your kitchen to look nice. You don't need to drink out of them. I was told him I was going to put up two more shelves because I have four. He's, I'm like, I think I'm going to put two more. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so we have a, a TBR list and we have a TBD list to be drunk. It's both. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, super fun. Super fun. Okay. What about if you could travel to any literary world, would you travel to Actar? Where would you go? Hmm. I don't know. They all have such problems. I mean, what world doesn't have a problem? But like, I mean, obviously we don't write books that don't have problems because you need the climax and the all the drama. But I'd like to go somewhere that like doesn't have those issues. Oh. <laughs> or like be like a side character that's just like observing those issues. Um, Yeah, Akatar would be pretty cool. Then Night Court. I mean, who doesn't want to go to um, Valaris and, and see all of that? And it was kept pretty safe. So yeah, I'll I'll go there. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Okay, Bo, put you on the spot again. You have to ask questions. You're the co-host. <laughs> I'm trying here. What genre do you want to write but are afraid to write? Smut. <laughs> <laughs> I so why, why are you afraid? Uh, because my, I don't want my parents to read it. Because I mean, you got to do research. You got to, you got to figure this stuff out. So uh, yeah, I just actually started writing one last night and it's tentatively called um, uh, the diary of Lucifer's lady. And it's the theme it came to me in a dream <laughs> is like, she starts sleeping with the devil basically. And he just like sexually awakens her in all of these different ways. And it's like, cataclysmic in her little world um but it's first person it's like her diary and so I mean it's gonna get like there's gonna be descriptions and so I want to write it uh, because it sounds super fun I don't know if I ever wanted to come out and see the world <laughs> that's when you have to have a pen name yeah and then never <laughs> tell anybody or be yeah. like me and just give your mom the books and let her read them that's what I did <laughs> see what happens <laughs> I'm like, yes. you got to get real cool, real fast, mom. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have a, a pen name and then my dad read my books and then my dad talks about them when we're in front of his other friends. He'll be like, this is my daughter. So she wrote these books. The first one is my home on Whore Island. And I'm like. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yes, it's it's a pleasure. <laughs> it would be really cool if you bought my book and then had a discussion with my dad about my sex book that would be awesome could you do that let's have a book club <laughs> yes exactly. you're like i'll come speak at the book club after you read yeah. the book 
Yeah. Yes. As long as you and 10 of your friends have purchased and written reviews, I will come talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> if I have 10 good reviews, then I'll, it's okay. I'll go talk in front of everybody. Okay. So what about um, if you could uh, fly to anywhere in the world right now, money, none, you know, life problems, not a thing, where would you want to go and why? Um, it's probably Australia. My husband has always wanted to go and I've built up quite a network of awesome friends through the publishing world that I would love to meet, including one of my coaches that works with me. So I'd like to go there and uh, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. So I hear it's like the warm Canadian equivalent. So that seems like a pretty, pretty good place to go. We just got back from Thailand. We go to Mexico regularly. My parents live in the U S like we're pretty broad travelers. Um, so I think Thailand would, or I'm sorry, Australia would be on the next on the list. Very cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. So finally, before you do shameless self-promotion, what advice would you give to authors out there? Find a someone, find a community, find someone, find a person to go through this with, um, writing a book, editing, self-editing, publishing, designing can be incredibly lonely even if you do go the traditional route, like, like you said earlier, it is not what it used to be with the relationships between publisher and author. Um, so find, find a community, find a person. That's why I do what I do in the one-on-one space is because I want that author to never feel alone, to feel like they are validated. They are worthy. They are confident. And when they are not those things, I am those things for them. Um, that, that would be my biggest advice. I love that. I love that. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time. Where can people find you and your books and your publishing company and all of that stuff? So drum roll begin. So we have a myriad of resources for the aspiring author, both fiction and nonfiction at nextpagepublishing.net. Um, you can find our blog. We have our own podcast there. Where we bring on industry experts to talk about what it takes to publish a book. Um, and we have, of course, all of our programs and all of our my work, our other authors' work can all be found at nextpagepublishing.net. Very cool. Very cool. Marissa, thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. It was so much fun having you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Okay. So listeners, um, I have been Erica Lance, at least as far as I know for the rest <laughs> of the day. We'll see. Vodka's kicking in, so that might not be the case. Um, my co-host today has been the amazing Bo Lake, and we will see you guys next time.